Thank you, Craig. Um, if you've got a Bible, can you please open it to Ecclesiastes chapter 11? Um, it's page 676 of the church Bibles, if you've got one of those. Ecclesiastes chapter um, 11, we're going to read that through to chapter 12, verse 8. Uh, now, I'm aware that we're kind of just diving into the end of a book. Normally, uh, here in St. Peter's, if you're visiting, we would go systematically through a book of the Bible, um, but we're just coming to this for the very first time. Uh, so before we read it, let me just give you a bit of a, a flavor as to what Ecclesiastes is all about. It's a, bit of, um, it's a bit of a weird book. It's kind of the Marmite book of the Bible. People tend to love it, but, or well, they wouldn't hate it, but they would find it maybe quite confusing. Um, but it is a, one of the wisdom books of the Bible, and it records for us the words of a guy with the cool and slightly enigmatic name of the teacher. And in Ecclesiastes, uh, the teacher wants to use wisdom to help us try and make the most of life, but to do so in a way that confronts the dark realities of living in a fallen, broken world. So how can we make the most of this life, but without escaping from the fact that this world is a world that is under the curse and judgment of God? And he does this because he knows that we have a tendency to um, make too much of ourselves and to make too much of the things of this world. Now, bear in mind, I think this is really important when you read Ecclesiastes, bear in mind that Ecclesiastes is written primarily to Christians, okay? So you may be here tonight and maybe you're not a Christian. There is much that you can get from reading the book of Ecclesiastes and uh, hopefully from the sermon tonight, but it is written primarily to those in the covenant community. It's written to Christians. And there's a kind of, um, a kind of Christian form of escapism, a way of, of looking at the world in which we, we secretly think that, that we can control the outcome of what will happen to us. There is a subtle yet sinful tendency that we have um, in which we can make too much of the things of this world and put them in the place of God. And so the wisdom of Ecclesiastes is there to remind the Christian that this world is good, but it is not your home. You are an exile. Jesus has saved us from our sin, and he saved us so that we can be with him in the new creation. And this world is what we are passing through. Therefore, don't make too much of this world, because this is not your home. And the way that the, the teacher um, reminds us of that constantly throughout Ecclesiastes is to remind us of the inevitable fact that we're all going to die. And because that is true, his evaluation on life is, well, have a look at verse 8 of chapter 12. This is his uh, repeated phrase used throughout the book. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Now, uh, I don't know a lot of you here maybe coming to the Bible for the first time, and it may surprise you uh, to read something like that in the Bible. Uh, and it is surprising. 
but it's what the teacher says throughout Ecclesiastes. Now, we do have a problem here because I actually think it's a bit of an unhelpful translation. It's a, it's a very risky thing to have a go at the translators, but I'm, I'm going to for the, the NIV translation here. Um, this guy, the teacher, he is not some moody uh, French existentialist philosopher. Um, that word that he uses, meaningless, it's a Hebrew word, havel, And it's translated elsewhere in the Bible as breath. So, for example, in Psalm 144, verse 4, the author of that psalm says, Man is but a breath. It's the same word. His days are fleeting like a shadow. And so, havel means something not that has no value, but it's something that's transitory. It's something that's brief. It's not about a lack of value. It's about a lack of permanence. A breath, after all, is uh, very valuable to the person who's breathing it. But the point the teacher makes, and, and you can see this if you read Ecclesiastes, is that there's just no lasting value. Our lives and our achievements and all that we've been working for It's like if you were to go out tonight and and it was cold and you just for a brief moment see your breath in the icy air, that's what your life is like. And so I think a helpful way of translating verse 8 would be a breath, a breath, says the teacher. Everything is just a breath. Now he's not being negative. Um, The purpose of Ecclesiastes is to get real, okay? Okay? Not so that we will despair, but so that we will learn to put our trust on the one who is not temporal. Embrace your frailties, embrace your mortality, embrace your sinful nature and your limited finite capacity for understanding so that you can place all your trust and all your hope on the majestic, immortal, good and infinite God who made you. That's what the wisdom of Ecclesiastes is designed to do. Uh, As Von Roberts, another minister, he summed all that up nice and succinctly. He said, Ecclesiastes is about this, face facts and fear God. That's what this book is about. So let's read the teacher's closing words then uh, in Ecclesiastes. Chapter 11, verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. Give portions to seven, yes to eight, for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there will it lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let not your hands be idle. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all, but let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is just a breath. Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart, and whatever your eyes see, 
But know for all these things God will bring you into judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are just a breath. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint, when men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire no longer is stirred, Then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. A breath, a breath, says the teacher, everything It's just a breath. Let me pray and we'll look at these words together. Father, thank you for the wisdom of the teacher. Um, Father, we pray tonight as we study his words that you, by your Holy Spirit, would bring them to bear upon our heart. Teach us to be wise. Father, may we know the wisdom of facing facts and fearing God. Father, we ask that your word would challenge us where we need to be challenged and it would comfort us where we need to be comforted. We ask above all that we would see Jesus in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Teach us, we pray, in your holy name. Amen. Well, these are the closing words of the teacher. Uh, And as we begin, I want to quote to you from another wise teacher, my favorite wise teacher, Gandalf the Grey. Uh, In the Lord of the Rings films, most of you have seen them, Frodo is speaking to Gandalf about how he wished that this task of having to destroy this evil ring had never come to him. And Gandalf responds by famously saying, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what we are going to do with the time that is given to us. All we have to decide is what we are going to do with the time that has been given to us. It's wise advice from Gandalf. And in many ways, it is the message of Ecclesiastes 11 and 12. We don't control the times we have, how long we have, what will happen to us. But what we have to decide is what we are going to do with the time that God has given to us. And so in light of of all the teacher has taught this young man that he is speaking to here in Ecclesiastes about life's limitations and about God's sovereignty, how then should we live? Well, I think we see three things here about life and God and how we should live in light of those truths. Three things. Firstly, life is unpredictable, so take risks remembering God's in control. 
Life is unpredictable, so take wise risks, remembering that God is in control. So he begins, verse 1, ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. Um, Confusing, isn't it? There's, there's a lot of stuff like that in wisdom literature where you're thinking, what is he talking about? But you can kind of get the gist of what he's saying. What he is saying here is make risky investments. So he's saying, send your grain out, put all your investments on, on a ship, a very risky thing to do, by the way, and you will get it back. In fact, don't just give a portion to one risky endeavor, give to seven or even eight. For you do not know what will happen. Verse 2 is probably similar to a proverb we have in in English. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't make one investment in your life. Make loads. Why? Because you have no control over life. You have no control over life as you have no control over nature. Verse 3, if the clouds are full of water, they rain on the earth. If a tree falls, it falls. Things that happen that you can't predict. So don't be the kind of person in life who is overly cautious and always waiting for the right time to do something. And I love verse 4 to 6 of chapter 11. Honestly, these verses have helped me so much in ministry. Have Have a look again at what he says. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the cloud will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let not your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. See, a good farmer is not going to spend all his time waiting and waiting for the right weather to plant the seed. He's going to get on and do it, except the fact that he doesn't control the weather. And there are things in life that that we cannot understand. The the teacher here uses an example of how a baby is formed in the womb and and given life. It's an amazing, miraculous event. and, And it's what God does when he creates a human being. This is God the maker's work. God the maker. He is the one who dictates when the rain will pour and when the trees will fall. Life is unpredictable. So there are some decisions in life that we need to take risks on rather than waiting for the opportune time. Just get on with it. Stop trying to control the outcome. Stop staring at the clouds and crack on. It's an important application of the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. And there are some decisions, big decisions, that maybe many of us have to make, but we're being sinfully cautious about. And what I mean by that is that our caution is not caused by wisdom, but it's caused by a desire to try and control what we want the outcome to be. Now, don't mishear this, because there's a lot of planners out here who are freaking out. There is loads in wisdom literature in the Bible about the importance of planning and the importance of patience. The wise person who doesn't plan, a wise person will always plan. The person who doesn't plan, the person who's not patient, is what 
Proverbs would call a sluggard, okay? So planning is important. Planning is extremely important and extremely wise. But at the same time, remember Proverbs 19:22. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We need to plan, yes, but there are times in life we need to take wise risks. Risks that acknowledge God is in control. Saying to God, I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to step out and I'm just going to trust you with this. So decisions like, should I marry this person? Should I go out with this person? Maybe you just need to stop faffing about and get on with it. You keep waiting for the right time. You might miss it. God's the boss. Think about how we use our money. Beware the sin of greed. Jesus warns so much about that. Um, The teacher in Ecclesiastes 5 and 6 warns about that. Beware of being like a rich fool who hoards his money for himself. Hang loose to your possessions, to your money. Make wise risks. Give it away. Give it to the work of Jesus' kingdom. Maybe we need to give more. Or or are we using money as a means to try and control and secure our life rather than letting the maker of all things be the one who controls and secures our life? See, godly wisdom means being godly risk takers. And I think the best way to apply this wisdom is to think about evangelism and the work that we do for Jesus' kingdom. Because that's the labor that matters most. That's the labor that carries on into eternity, as Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. And so we had read to us that parable of the talents at the start. And the good servant in that parable, the good servants are the ones who have invested their lives into working for King Jesus. And it's really interesting, when Jesus talks about kingdom work, this is how he describes it in Mark 4.26. It's quite similar to Ecclesiastes. The kingdom of God is like if a man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. It's the same principle. When we tell others about Jesus, it works, even if we don't know how it works. Sometimes it produces a harvest, sometimes it produces hostility. But at the end of the day, it's not down to you, it's not down to us, it's down to God, and it's down to his sovereignty. So whilst we need to be wise in how we engage with others, we need to recognize that we can spend far too much time waiting for the perfect moment to talk about Jesus that we never actually talk about Jesus. Just get out and do it. Stop staring at the clouds. That's all Jesus calls us to do. We sow the gospel seed. We're the sowers, not the growers. So let me ask you, as I ask myself, what risks are we taking for Jesus? Are you willing to take that risk and to speak to your colleagues or your course mates about Jesus or his reputation too important? Are we willing to take that risk maybe and maybe move house into a less affluent area for the sake of the gospel or is comfort too precious to us? Are you willing to not get that job promotion so that you can spend more time serving the church? 
Or does your career define you? These are not um, binary options. Wisdom uh, is not a binary thing. We need wisdom in these decisions. It's not a right or wrong. But what is the wise choice? How can we make, how can we serve Jesus? Don't make decisions on life primarily on what is good for you or where is a nice place to live or what would be a good school for your kids. And those are good things to think about. But the main thing to think about as a Christian is always, how can I best serve Jesus? There is no such thing as safe, comfortable Christianity. Not when the Savior calls us to take up our cross and follow him. Our lives are invested in working for the king. It's too short and it's too frustrating to be watching clouds. Step out, take risks for Jesus, sow the seed and trust God. That's the first thing. Second thing that we see the teacher tell us is that life is good. So enjoy it when you can, remembering God is your judge. Life is good, it's a gift. So enjoy it when you can, remembering that God is your judge. Verse 7, light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. That's what life is like for the teacher. I always get annoyed when people think of like Ecclesiastes being a downer. It's not a downer. Like th- This guy is commending life. He just doesn't want any form of escapism. He wants a, a life that confronts reality, that doesn't run from reality. And when he thinks about what life is, he, he says it is like light that pleases the eye. It's like basking in the warm sun. It's good. It's a gift from God. And don't be blind to the goodness of this world when it's in front of you. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. Let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is just a breath. Life for the preacher, the teacher, is a gift that we are to enjoy, but we are to enjoy it always mindful of the fact that it's temporal, that it's all our achievements are finite. And so when life is good, enjoy it. You who are young, be happy while you're young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. When life feels good, enjoy it, make the most of it. And if you have a good understanding of who God is, then you'll be able to enjoy the good things that God gives. Because everything that is good is a gift from God. And the way that the Christian should enjoy life is different because we know that this world is not our home we know we are going to the new creation but that doesn't mean we put our blinkers on and ignore what God has created it means that we enjoy it knowing it's transient because enjoying life for the Christian is about enjoying the good things of this world without making too much of them And that's the balance that you see in Ecclesiastes. Don't make too much of the things of this world, but don't make too little of it either. And we find that balance, I think, when Jesus is our chief joy. Uh, You know, as as Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1 verse 8, though we have not seen Jesus, we love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. And with Jesus as the chief joy, it stops us 
making too much of the things of this world or too little of them. It stops us worshipping the creation rather than the creator who is forever praised. And so it's good to go out and enjoy the beauty of creation on a nice night. That's a good thing. It's good to go for a walk and marvel at what God has made. It's good to enjoy good music like Iron Maiden. Yeah? Or whatever tickles your fancy. It's good to enjoy good food like barbecue ribs. Honestly, just any pig-related food. I'm so glad we live in the new covenant. It's good to enjoy sports and football and whiskey and toffee fudgy wudgy ice cream. And I'm not being irreverent. God is a wonderfully good, vibrant creator. And so enjoy his creation, but do so in a way that doesn't praise the created things, but praises the creator. You know, a monk who locks himself away in a room away from the world. It's not spiritual. They're being unbiblical. Pray and give thanks to God for for family and friends and food. Give him all the glory. Keep him as your priority and follow the ways of your heart. Sports and music and ice cream, these are gifts to be enjoyed. Verse 10, the teacher says, get rid of your anxiety. Jesus tells us, don't worry about tomorrow, about what you eat or what you drink, but seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be sorted. Don't spend your life constantly worrying so that you're actually missing some of the good that God has placed in front of you. Notice what he says in verse 9. Pursue joy, enjoy life when you can, but always do so mindful of the fact that God is your judge. The teacher in Ecclesiastes, he's always reminding us, and there's great wisdom in remembering this. We are creatures who are accountable to our Creator. And so for the teacher, the good life is lived under the the two things that aren't transient, the two fixed realities that we all have to face, death and judgment. And that's not there to put a downer on this. That's not squandering enjoyment. That's there to help direct our enjoyment because God knows what's best for us. And you know, I think the preacher is saying here, and a lot of the commentaries on this passage would agree, I think he's saying, if you fail to enjoy the good life, then the good in life, then that's wrong, and God will judge you for it, because he wants you to enjoy things. David Gibson, who is a minister in Aberdeen, uh, and he wrote an excellent book on Ecclesiastes. By the way, if there's one book I could recommend on Ecclesiastes, it would be uh, David Gibson's book, Living Life Backwards. Brilliant book. But when he writes on this passage, he states this, no parent who buys their kid a toy wants to see it in the box hidden under the bed. Real relationship involves another person taking pleasure in the gifts that have been given. God is a good father. He enjoys giving gifts. And he gives outrageous rewards to those who deserve nothing but his judgment. You see, joy belongs to God, not to the devil. 
And this is not, look, this is not a selfish command. This is not some sort of pursuit of of hedonism because Christian joy is always outward looking. And when you enjoy life under God's rule, you share his joy. And, And do you know what's interesting? That means, yes, enjoying the good things of creation, but it also means delighting in obeying his commands. It means enjoying what Jesus really enjoyed. And do you know what Jesus enjoyed? And it's I think it's the only time it really talks about Jesus' joy. If you read the Gospels, what made Jesus' heart sing? When sinners were found. And so this ties into the first point. Taking risks for Jesus in evangelism is part of just enjoying life. Christian joy is that outward focus. Look, not every day will be great. The teacher knows that. You read Ecclesiastes, he really knows it. He tells us that actually here the days of darkness will be many and maybe some of us are in the days of darkness and so it's hard to, to think about what we, what we can enjoy. But the point is this, if the days are good and if there is good things in th- front of you, give thanks to God and when the dark days come, you will see that you have a good God who not only leads you to green pastures but will walk with you through death's dark valley. And that's the final thing we see here. Life is brief. So accept your mortality, remembering God, your creator. Life is brief. So accept your mortality, remembering God, your creator. The teacher's final words to the young Christian he imparts his wisdom to are this. Remember your creator. So he's saying, don't be deluded, young people, that you are somehow going to live forever. Don't be a fool. You are not the king of the world. You are not the master of your fate. It's an application, especially for young people here. I won't define what young is, because that's risky territory. But if you think you're young, remember your creator. He's the creator. We are the creatures. Remember before it's too late. Stick with Jesus now, honestly. That's what will prepare you for what will come in life, young people. My biggest regret was that I didn't stick with Jesus when I was a teenager. And there's a tendency when you're young to think that you're invincible. You're not going to think about death, that's for sure. You've got your whole life ahead of you. But remember, you have been made by God for God. You must remember it now because the days, there will be days of trouble on the horizon. And there will come a time where it does seem too late. Honestly, I found the hardest people to share the gospel with are those who are elderly. I don't know if that's always the case. And that's not always the case. There's um, people who have come to know Jesus very late in life by the grace of God being saved. I remember even Charleston. I had a 93-year-old man wanting to have a square go with me in Charleston uh, just because he found out I was a minister and he was so set in his ways and he was wanting to fight. And thankfully, Owen O'Rourke was there to defuse the situation because um, I was scared. I mean, he was 93, but he was a big lad. Um, it's not always the case. God's grace is great. It can transform the hardest heart. And maybe some of you here became a Christian later on in life. But I guarantee if you did, I guarantee if anyone here became a Christian later on in life, they wished they would have remembered their creator 
in the days of their youth. And so what the teacher does in verse 2 to 6 of chapter 12 is he closes with a, with a really beautiful poem uh, just to remind us of what's coming. Remember Jesus now because before, you're, before you know it, your body will start to deteriorate and you will die. Now just look at the poem. It's a poem about a house slowly getting more and more decrepit, but it's also a metaphor to describe the aging process. Have a look, see if you can work out what it's saying. Verse 3 The keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop. It's your knees giving way. It's your posture bending over. The grinders cease. It's your teeth. The windows grow dim. Your eyesight goes. Verse 4 is about going deaf, not hearing these birds. You get up early. Your voice starts to go. Verse 5, you start to become more afraid, especially the frailer you get. The almond tree blossoms. Is that a reference to? That's your hair going gray for those of you who are lucky enough to have hair when you get older. You drag yourself along. Your desires start to go. And then you go to your eternal home and people mourn at your funeral. And that is what will happen to you should you live long enough. And some of us here can maybe testify to that. And the folly of our culture is, this is why Ecclesiastes is actually quite great in our culture, because he's telling us to get real, and we live in a culture that escapes from reality. And the folly of our culture is that we try and pretend that this doesn't happen with our Botox and our anti-aging cream. And we can't accept our mortality. We don't know how to deal with death. That's why people get these surgeries and have this just for men. It's like they're trying to undo this aging process. And it's sad because you can't stop the house getting run down by putting up some new curtains. Every day that we breathe is a gift from God. Life is very precious. And that's why in in verse 6... Uh, The teacher uses this metaphor of of life being like a silver cord or a golden bowl, a precious thing that is so fragile and yet so easily broken. It's a gift that God gives us. And death, well, according to verse 7, death is when God takes that gift back, when he takes us back, back to him. A breath, a breath, says the teacher, everything is just a breath. We're out of time, but I just want to close by reminding you of all that the teacher says. Two things will happen in your life. You will die. You will be judged by your creator. Maybe not all of us will die, but one thing will definitely happen. We will all be judged by God. Guaranteed. Think back to what Jesus said in Matthew 25 in the parable of the talents. He is the king who is coming back and he will judge us on how we have lived our lives. The good servants are those that use the gifts that God has given them to work for him, to invest in his kingdom. The wicked servant is the one who uses these gifts for himself. Maybe the big risk that some of you here today, tonight, need to take is you need to follow Jesus. 
You know, you could have the perfect lifestyle. You can get the kids. You can get the best job with all the promotions. The perfect family. You can grow old and retire with everything on that bucket list ticked off. But for what? So that you can die and stand before the throne of God your judge and be cast away for eternity to the place that Jesus says is darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, come to Jesus now and not only does he forgive you of all the wrong that you have ever done, but he brings you into God's family. And God is a wonderfully good and kind father. And so if you do follow Jesus, make your life the investment for him, your whole life. Don't waste your time. Don't waste the time that God has given you. Take risks for his kingdom. Enjoy his goodness, giving praise to him. Look towards that new creation that he has purchased for us. To that time when the dark days are gone forever, when our foolish sinfulness will be removed, when death is gone. And when the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come now and share your master's happiness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the dose of realism that the teacher gives us. It's like a a bucket of ice water. It rouses us up from apathy and laziness and from idolatry and how we make too much of this world or how we make too little of it and it confronts us with truth and reality. And when we see the truth, we see that we are weak, frail, finite, sinful human beings. But it's good for us to know that because we are reminded that you are strong, that you are good, that you are eternal and that you are kind. And therefore, we want to use this wisdom to trust you with everything, to give our lives to you. We don't want you, Jesus, to be just a spoke in the wheel of our lives, for that is the biggest folly. But we want you to be the controlling access, everything in our lives, to be driven by you and your kingdom, to give it all, to lose our life, so that we may gain life eternal with you and your joy. Father, help us to apply this wisdom as we go forward into this week, as we look to the time that we have. Help us to apply it in a good, godly way, always trusting in you, the maker of all things. Help us to remember you, our creator, every single day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to close by singing a song that expresses our gratitude and thankfulness to God for what he has done in life, for all the gifts that he has given to us. So let's stand and sing as the band begin to play, My Heart is Filled with Thankfulness. Let's stand and sing this great tune and remain standing, please, at the end for the closing prayer. <laughs>